I'm your host, licensed clinical social worker, Amy Staley, and joined by my co-host, Jason Hopkins, and our guest, Sarah Selke. Sarah is a licensed professional counselor who's been a leader in acute care settings in Colorado for over five years. Sarah received her master's degree from the University of Denver in International Disaster Psychology, which is focused on crisis intervention and trauma treatment for local and international populations. She worked abroad at the World Health Organization in Panama and then found her passion working in behavioral health hospitals in Colorado. Sarah is committed to improving access to patient care and supporting the most vulnerable populations in our community. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I've had the pleasure of knowing you over the past 10 years um, and worked with you in a variety of settings, but truly see you as um, an expert in the acute care setting and the leadership that you've um, brought to that in Colorado over the past five years has been amazing. So we're thrilled that you're joining us today. Thank you for yeah. being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so I mean, again, I'm also thrilled that you're here because we're having this important topic on the heels of two really important topics with our conversations with youth um, who both had their own experience of mental health challenges and both um, experienced those challenges in a uh, inpatient healthcare setting. And as a director of, of those types of settings, I really thought it was important for us to have a conversation with you about, you know, what is acute care? And if you have a loved one that's really struggling that might need inpatient treatment, I think it's important for us to offer some guidance and unpack a little bit more about what can you expect and, you know, what are some of the common pieces of language that we use in those conversations that really can help guide somebody. So when they get into those difficult spots, they have a little more awareness about, hey, what am I getting myself into here? Yeah, no, I think this is a, I'm so glad to be able to talk about it, to be honest, because even when I started, you know, doing acute care work or working in the hospital setting about five years ago, I also went in pretty blind, sort of what even myself in, in studying my career in that direction to not know exactly what I was walking into. So I love to be able to say from someone who felt a novice just five years ago, you know, what has really, I've come to understand about that setting. So I guess the best place to start um, is that when we think about sort of an inpatient hospital, especially whether it's youth or an adult, I think the, the stigma in our minds of what it used to be like this, this idea of an inpatient hospital setting where it's, where it's cold and there's no windows and you feel locked and it feels unsupportive and no one's paying attention to you. There's been so much change, um, I think, over the last many, many years, certainly like the last 20, but even more so in the last five of what what we're really trying to accomplish at that level of care. Um, I think the most important, aside from sort of overcoming that stigma, is also realizing that this is a short-term sort of crisis stabilization um, facility for folks who are really in need of that highest level of care possible. So when we think of patients who, or individuals who are presenting, and for especially for our youth population, if they're feeling um, you know, suicidal or they're feeling, um, have a plan to hurt themselves. Um, we want to think of, can that successfully be treated at an outpatient level of care? Because first and foremost, we don't want to put anybody in a hospital setting unless we have to. But when, in, when we're in situations where we really want to keep somebody safe or the parents feel strongly, this patient themselves feel strongly that we need to keep them safe in that moment while we work through some of that stabilization, the inpatient hospital setting is where we go. Um, what would be helpful, I guess, 
for you guys to really understand from the start of the process through what it's like or, or what's the, the pressing question I think that some of our users. Yeah. So, I mean, I have several questions, so I'm sure we're going to go like through a variety of questions, but I think, um, you know, I really appreciate your passion and, and interest in joining us today so that we can explain this because I think um, most people don't understand and don't know what these levels of care are until, until they're in a situation where they themselves or their loved one might need to access that care. So, you know, even just talking us through, yeah, how does somebody even get to a place where they'd be evaluated for a hospital, like um, talking through the process of what that looks like. And then once it is determined that somebody might be unsafe, unless they go to an inpatient um, unit, what, what might they expect? Yep. Like, yeah. Who makes that determination? Where do you, where does that determination happen? So I'll start with the most common. Um, I think what we see in this, in this makes sense is that the same way that you would walk into an emergency department, if you had a broken arm or if you're having trouble breathing, is when, you know, how we should be able to think about this system is that if we're having a mental health crisis, whether we're a youth, an adult, anybody, the first place I think families often think of to take their, their kiddos is to that emergency department. Um, it doesn't mean it's the only way to access care, so we'll get into that in a little bit, but I would say that that's oftentimes what we're seeing as the, the starting point for that let's evaluate this individual, see where they're at with that mental health crisis and make this determination. So if I'm a family and I know that I, you know, I'm talking to my kiddo who's in a mental health crisis and it can look really different for everybody. It could be a, your kid coming to the table and sharing that they're having a crisis or sharing that they're feeling suicidal. It could also be, you know, a kiddo who's at school, who's disclosed to a staff member or disclosed to the school counselor that they're feeling um, like they want to hurt themselves or they're not doing well. Um, so if they end up, if they drive to an emergency department, what happens is that just like in any emergency department, they're going to triage to see what you need in that moment. And if it is a behavioral health need, the next step is actually being seen by a licensed behavioral health professional. Um, that could be in combination with a licensed psychiatrist or a licensed doctor. But really, the evaluation often takes place with a licensed professional counselor, a licensed professional social worker, or someone who's really specialized and has a license in behavioral health needs. And they do a full psychosocial assessment for the most part. So it can often be take up to an hour. Um, they would meet with the family and the, the kiddo together and talk through what, what are the presenting problems? What, what is that person experiencing right now in this moment? What have they maybe experienced in the past? What are some of the things that have been going on in their lives? And, and they look at all sorts of uh, parts of that person's presentation. And then from, yeah. Can I just comment on that real quick to interject? Because I'm somebody uh, who um, at one point in my career um, used to be that person. Um, for a couple of years, I was doing those evals in the hospital in collaboration with the doctors. And one thing that I've heard a lot from families is my kids said this. I don't understand why they weren't hospitalized or they said this is remembering that they're that that person has to go off of all of the information they have in that moment. And so if they came from school or if they came from someplace and something concretely was said, anything you can do to have that documentation to provide the hospital can be really valuable because if they're, um, if it's just like, oh, well, they said this, so we brought them over here and the doctor and the mental health professional don't have documentation from that collateral, they have to go off of what's in front of them. And so remembering, like, if you are concerned about your loved one and there was 
a specific event or specific statements that were said that uh, that somebody else heard, whether it be a school professional, whether it be somebody else, anything you can do to help provide that documentation. Um, because like you said, it is a triage, right? Like they're still in that moment, but they have to go off of what's presenting in that moment. And so making sure if you are really concerned about something, anything you can provide to that person to help inform their decision-making can be really beneficial. Right. I mean, absolutely. And I'll go as far to say that, so I, I work with a lot of, I'm grateful to say that the emergency departments now should be throughout most of the ones, at least in the Denver metro area, should be staffed now with licensed behavioral health professionals in those, whether some of them are tele, so some of them are doing it um, over uh, online, but a lot are actually in the emergency departments there and ready to do those evaluations. And I have the privilege of training some of these individuals. And we're, we're actually saying now, Amy, we're going as far as to say, if we don't have that documentation from the school, we don't have that information, our licensed clinician should be calling. Absolutely be making that extra effort to call and say, hey, this was reported to you. Hey, school therapist. Hey, teacher. And so if we don't have it in writing, we should, as clinicians, be making the best effort to get that information because the whole picture, like you said, is going to help us make the very best determination for this patient. Um, as a clinician myself, as a licensed counselor, I really believe that what you're experiencing, your current presentation and your current symptoms are the most important, but things that are leading up to those current systems. So historical information about who you are and what has led to that matters in terms of my evaluation and what I as a clinician can take into consideration when making the decision for that. Where do we go from here? Right. And I think one, one thing that's really important, if I'm hearing you correctly, is and, and, and I think is important to validate here is this is not a one-size-fits-all solution. So there, there could be precipitous events that lead up to somebody being in this sort of intake setting or something that's just happened in the moment. Like there are a variety of scenarios that somebody could end up needing this evaluation that may or may not result in an inpatient stay. Yep. And, and what you're saying that I think is so important as an advocate, if it's your child or your loved one, to really be able to keep some documentation around. These are the things that I've experienced, knowing that this person might not be showing up in their best at this moment, but here's some additional information that might be valuable for you to consider as you're doing this intake process. Is, is yep. that, did I hear that correctly? Yes, it, it should be. It should be a conversation. So if I'm going to be honest, and I can't speak for how every behavioral health clinician in the emergency departments functions, but if it were up to me and the teams that we're really training, the, the evaluation should take place with the clinician, the kiddo, and the parents as a conversation and talking through, yes, we're collecting information, but when we have an opinion about where do we go from here, that communication should be directly with the parents, directly with the patient of this is why we're thinking this for this kid. Let's keep let's keep the dialogue open because um, I know there's some situations where parents it can feel really disempowering um, and it can feel scary to sort of, in a sense, say here you're evaluating my kid and then somehow you're deciding. You just get to make the end all decision about what happens to my kid from this moment forward. And I want parents to really know that at the end of the day, the job of these clinicians is just trying to keep this kiddo safe. That is. That is the first and foremost thing on these clinicians' minds. And the, the conversation and the asking of questions and the gaining as much information as possible is meant to help everyone be on the same page and feel supportive. Now, could it end in disagreement where if a family member, for instance, does not think 
um, an inpatient level of care is appropriate or thinks my kid really needs to be hospitalized and the clinician maybe does not think that. There are absolutely times where that may happen, but I really hope that parents know that um, it is a conversation, a supportive environment, and you will know exactly what the determination is, the why, the where, if it is a inpatient hospitalization, where is my kiddo going to end up and how can I be a part of that process? Um, and I, I really think that that is the direction we're headed in when it comes to maybe where we started with evaluations in the hospitals to really where we're trying to get to. Um, and so I think, you know, one of the things that's within the power of the clinician at that point is to determine if the, if it, the patient or if the individual who's presenting with, um, you know, suicidal thoughts or with a plan is not safe to go back to their home, right, where they don't feel like they can prevent themselves from hurting themselves or they can prevent um, acting on some of those plans. And I'm, I'm speaking specifically to suicidal ideation, although there's other reasons that someone might meet inpatient level of care. But in this case, um, unfortunately, regardless of whether the parents want or don't want, I think that, you know, what's the outcome for my kiddo is that the obligation of the clinician at that point is to keep the patient safe. And if they feel um, that the patient or the family members wouldn't be willing to go voluntarily to that highest level of care to that inpatient facility, they do have at that time, I mean, the right to write an involuntary 72-hour hold. And really what that means is to say, hey, we want to keep you for further evaluation. We want you to meet with a licensed doctor. We want you to meet, continue to meet with a licensed clinician um, at an inpatient facility while we continue to evaluate day by day um, whether or not it's safe for you to go back home. And, and that really just means it's a 72-hour period for evaluation. It does not guarantee 72 hours within a hospital. It does not guarantee it won't be more than 72 hours within a hospital, but it gives that opportunity to say, in this moment, we're concerned about you being able to stay safe. We really want to make sure that that's at the top of everyone's mind. So we're recommending the 72-hour evaluation period, and we're going to now look for an inpatient hospital um, that both has beds available that serves youth and um, that population within our community. And we start, they stay in the emergency department until that um, communication, until the bed is available, until we can make that transfer. Um, so that can sometimes take an hour, that can sometimes take a day, um, especially for our kiddos. Yeah, and one thing I just wanna add again, knowing what we've heard from the community and what I've observed as a, a community-based clinician is, so let's say um, an unsafe statement was made in the school setting um, such that there was a decision and, you know, an SRO put somebody on a hold to transport them to the emergency room for their family to meet them there. So a 72-hour hold that you're discussing can be initiated at several different starting points. That, that hold, like you said, doesn't necessarily mean somebody is going inpatient. If they are, so they might have to be in an emergency room waiting until they can see that behavioral health person. Like we all know the systems in general are flooded, um, especially emergency rooms are going to have different levels of crisis, right? So what you're discussing though is like that triage has happened and there's been a determination that that person probably needs to be transported by ambulance to the inpatient unit. And that hold is, is part of what helps get them there. Um, so I'm clarifying that because somebody yeah. might hear, oh, my kid was put on a hold at school and that means they're going. That That is actually what's done for them to safely get them from there to the emergency room for the eval. It can start again with the doctor, with the behavioral health person in the emergency room to transport. So there's, there's different entry yeah. points 
that. And I just want to clarify that for those who might be listening. And because um, I think sometimes we hear that 72 hour hold. And for some people that have been very concerned for their loved one, that's like a sense of safety of like, oh, they're on a hold. Great. Now they're going to get everything they need. And that does that. There's so many different avenues that that can go. So I just want to make sure people feel educated with that. No, that's a good point. Because yeah, if they right, the person who placed them on the hold, maybe in the community. So whether, again, it's at school, it's, um, you know, a police officer, depending on the situation. Um, yeah, a different clinician now making that evaluation and doing the assessment could determine either, yep, to, yes, this hold is valid. We're going to continue to work towards an inpatient level of care, or I can write another hold now, which is a new regulatory in Colorado starting January 1st of this year, that we can continue to write holds sort of back to back and as long as the patient's continuing to meet criteria. Um, or the clinician says, I actually think you're you're safe at this time. So I've evaluated you and, I, and I'm recommending that we drop that 72 hour hold. So all of those scenarios could happen. I think one thing you mentioned that is important and is true is when, when that hold is placed. So for the youth, for adults, at that time, in order to get to a inpatient facility, because most of our emergency departments, some of them do, but not all of them, don't have beds within that hospital um, where that patient can stay. It's usually a transport. It does have to be a transport by an ambulance. And that, again, as a parent,